0: You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast
1: for players by players and all about strategy, leveling up and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Last week on the pod, Brendan, we had Tarik Patel join us fresh off the back of Pro Tour Baltimore, but I didn't get to ask you many questions about the Pro Tour, obviously myself not being there. so. I wanted to find out from you what was your what was your favorite part about PC Baltimore and maybe a, a favorite match that you got to either spectate or or cast on the on the weekend?
0: Mm, my favorite match was definitely Michael Fang versus Yuha. Uh, which is interesting because I, I think like post match, uh, I remember Michael Fang was talking about how he thought he could potentially lose that game. I think from our perspective, it looked like it was actually impossible at some point because of how well the, the pitch stack was for Michael Fang in his favor. That being said, there was a comment on our YouTube video, actually, because I think I mentioned this in a, in a previous pod. They talked about the way u could have won that game. It actually goes back to an er, like the earlier turns and just a potentially like a different use usage of remembrance as well as Toml time they talked about maybe the remembrances were used a bit early and i think that yeah potentially in that case uh, you could have won but i think from all, from our scenario it did look like it was very kind of like mastercraft by fang to till the end game where it was basically scripted at that point because we knew both decks but it was still great to watch because i feel like if you're interested in high level Flesh and blood that's probably one of the best matches you can watch it just shows you know pitch stacking card economy, game plans, dynamic, you know, both players adapting, etc It was really a joy.
1: Yeah. I mean a classic nineteen ninety matchup, so <laughs> yeah. both both players were <laughs> locked to win, surely, Brendan. Uh no, no great. I mean the other thing at the Pro Tour Baltimore weekend, of course, was the calling, Baltimore. The largest amount of players registered for event in Flesh and Blood history. I think you'd know better than me, around nine hundred players, I think. Nine fourteen, uh, I believe. Yeah, so huge event in the end, won by Merrick Kemp on Dash. And while we did focus a lot on Baltimore and the PT last weekend, uh, last week, sorry, on the pod, this week, episode 108, we are going to be talking a bit more about the calling. You know, while the PT was happening in a split format event, on the other side, the calling was happening, pure class constructed, 900-odd players, 16 rounds, I want to say it was, or 15 rounds, I think it was. Uh, and we're going to dive into... What happened at this at this event? look at some of the decks that did well, the top eight because it is very interesting It's a little bit different to the PT and I think mm-hmm. being a pure class constructed format gives us a lot of indication of where we're heading with roads Nationals starting well, for some some regions, roads Nationals starting this weekend and for other regions, mm-hmm. roads Nationals starting next weekend.
0: Yeah, I think both tournaments have their drawbacks when it comes to data. Um, the argument against the PT is that it's split format, right? And drafts sort of throws a wrench uh, in the final result and how we land on the on the top decks and make it the top eight. Um, in the calling, uh, you can make the argument that you know, the best players in the world aren't competing, but I still think that the calling is probably a better, better thing to look at for a class-constructed uh, data set. Because there was so many rounds, because there were so many players, and I also think that just due to the f- sort of fluidity of that class constructed meta, like the PT meta, if you t- we talked about it a lot, when we we're at the proto. We we're like, oh, if we had a tournament next weekend, the the meta might not all- anything like this. And mm. yeah, I mean, that's kind of what happened in the calling. Lexi was still a popular deck, but you saw more counter and people being prepared for it we talk about like you know lexi was the best deck of the pro tour and you know it's be like yeah, i think i saw it come the truth is is like the rhetoric was really around old him pretty much until the last week and didn't really switch to lexi about 40 hours before so i think that there was a significant amount of players at the pro tour that didn't have enough time to properly adapt and try to counter um what ended up being the meta representation of the pro tour
1: and i was so argue like that ultim was the story of the of the whole weekend which we, we'll talk a bit more about as well as we get into this pod the the other thing as well you know that that argument i've heard before well you know the best 64 players weren't playing in the calling it's just not true like i i, I you know there were so many good players traveling to this event more than you would you know normally have traveling to a standard calling in north america and yes, some of those players were definitely in top 64. Some of those players, it uh, didn't make it into, you know, day two um, and instead played played the calling. You know, it was a split format. Maybe draft didn't go their way. Maybe they didn't pick the deck that maybe they should have or made the better call for the PT. Ended up in the calling in day two. So, you know, while there's this kind of this this uh, whole idea of, you know, the top 64 players aren't playing this calling, it, it's just not true, really. Mm-hmm. So I'll yep. argue that. Hayden, have you
0: have you ever played a calling?
1: Have I ever played a calling? Uh, a pro tour calling? No, no, no I'm always in day two. Yeah, buddy. exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like, nah, I've
0: played a calling, so obviously some <laughs> some some greats can can be there.
1: Well, I mean, just look at this top eight. I mean, you know, obviously Merrick Kemp going and winning the week before was top eight in a battle-hardened. Uh, we've got Matt Rogers in there in that top eight. Um, Dave Lynn, who top eight of the calling here in Auckland. Zach Bunn, of course, you know, Z Bunn. Mm. Uh, what did he top eight? <laughs> a road to
0: nationals or something somewhere?
1: I <laughs> heard <laughs> uh, he's lost a lot of winning So, um, You're weak in flesh and blood. You know, obviously it's, uh, well, it's great for the audience. <laughs> your week in flesh and blood you're back from pt baltimore road to nationals on the horizon are you going to be playing some road to nationals i you know i assume people people at this point i heard on the broadcast multiple times that you're permanently retired do you want to dispel that theory and tell us about you know your your week in flesh and blood and your upcoming plans for flesh and blood
0: i mean i don't know who said that but those people are wishful thinking i think that they want oh, to move out and give it make some space for other people to win some tournaments um no i'm actually going to be in pittsburgh the first weekend I'm going to be at the Realm Games Invitational. I believe it's a 5K. Um, then after that, probably, I was planning on it. My only the only sort of wrench in that is that the Reaper game store, which is the game store I usually play at, the one that I can consistently get into, I know the owner, et cetera, which, trust me, it sounds funny right now, but it's hard to get into some of these over here. Uh, that one is happening the same weekend as Pittsburgh. So after that, um, I'm going to have to find... Um, a store that I can get into. A lot of the stores around me tend to sell out privately and before they even go public on listing. Uh, I do think I'll probably travel up to Oklahoma to see, um, you know, road to national previous road to national top eight Zach Bunn and <laughs> go meet those boys for a, for a weekend of Oklahoma road to nationals, because we, we like to sort of go up there. we go to Tulsa, then we go down to Edmond for a day. Um, and yeah, it's a good time. They might come to Dallas if they come to Dallas, uh, if they can get in, I'll, I'll definitely be in that road to nationals. I can't let them come take a, take a trophy from my home turf.
1: Well, Tim Bunn, actually, Zach's brother, kept telling me that you were, you were dodging the Oklahoma uh, ProQuest seasons and Road to National seasons in the last two years. So, And that's not my words. That's someone else's words. So I'm just saying. But anyway, <laughs> also, I'm going to put a plea out on behalf of Brendan here. Community icon Brendan Patrick from the Texas area, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Get him into a Road to Nationals. I want to see this guy play some Road to Nationals this season. I got a, I got a couple of decks for him to play.
0: Yeah. And please don't let me. <laughs> don't make me. Don't force me bravo. to have a, have a part-time job asking you for a spot, too, because that's what my last Road to Nationals was like. It's like every single day. I was like, yeah, huh? will put it on the website? I'm like, nope, not yet. Put it on the website? Nope, not yet. I'm like, mm, okay. Sold out. I was like, oh, great. I remember I, there was one. I did get a I did get a call like an hour before on one of them. And someone was mm-hmm. like, hey, man, there, there might be a spot. And I was like, hour drive or might be a spot and eh, i'm good yep. but yeah i'm planning we'll on it i'm planning on it and there's also going to be some uh you know ideally we'll get some uh u.s events i'm going to be also mm-hmm. working the realm Games, salt lake city and columbus events so i'll be there uh and if there are any sort of battle hardens near me that i can play that aren't realm games i'll be in those for sure
1: mm-hmm. well uh brendan i'm not semi-retired and uh, this week i started testing for both singapore coming up in four weeks time or less than four weeks time and road national season again as we said starting next weekend so started to get some games and played a few of the decks from you know did well across the calling and uh pt at baltimore just to get a feel of kind of what people ended up bringing to the event so that's it's been good good place to start getting excited to play some road nationals i've i was you know watching the broadcast last weekend i just all i wanted to do was flesh and blood so I'm that's how to, i uh, felt yeah, as well. <laughs> yeah no that
0: that's really interesting because um i think you and i had talked about in a pod in the lead up to the pro tour was it like mm, you know we weren't really feeling the class constructive meta and uh, i think just like you know our general just hype for flesh and blood was down a little bit because our team wasn't going to the pro tour it's just it was kind of an atypical moment for us and i would say that going to the pro tour experiencing that energy just like totally reignited. Um, sort of my interest in competitive flesh and blood both competing but also casting of course so yeah i'm up Mm -hmm. for it
1: yep yep i I mean (laughs) i definitely am uh let's get into the news speaking of roads nationals so if you you know if you've been living under a rock roads nationals kicks off this coming weekend for Europe, UK, Hong Kong, and Singapore, that's due to the callings that uh, sit respectively, basically taking a week out of the Road to Nationals season. So lss have extended the season and it now kicks off this weekend. So uh, just be aware if you are in those regions, you might well have Road to Nationals near you this weekend. For the rest of the world, US, uh, Australia, New Zealand, South America, other parts of the world, Road to Nationals season is going to be kicking off the following weekend on the 20th. So I know that's when my first, uh, first event is happening. Make sure you go to uh use the event locator, find an event near you. Brendan is crying on the pod right now if you're on video. Dude, I am <laughs> yeah, I am dying of allergies. Oh my god. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but
0: as soon as it starts to warm up here in Texas, it's just been so brutal for me, man. Yeah. The audio this listener is-, is like, what the hell is this segue? Yeah. I've been uh my eyes are
1: killing me. <laughs> it's not a segue. No, no, no. You can see if you're on video right now, we're in the inverse. Usually Brendan's you know, living in sort of a cold and cold environment. The weather's completely shifted. I've got my jersey on, Brendan, as you can see, the, the, the hoodie on. Mm. Brendan's got allergies, he's crying. Mm. Um anyway, Road to National season kicks off. Good luck to all those playing. We did get a ban and suspended announcement, of course, right on cue. Yep. Just as we finished recording the pod, about an hour after we finished recording the pod last week with Tarek, as is tradition on Arsenal Pass that the uh the announcement drops. We we could we could push the pod back an hour, but if we push back the pod an hour, Brendan, what would happen?
0: Um, they would just wait another hour. What do you mean? Yep,
1: exactly. Yep. <laughs> uh, so the announcement happened. No changes to Class Constructed, which is a lot of what we theorized. Uh, I know there's been a lot of discussion around the kind of reasoning for this. I mean, I, th- I think it's reasonably straightforward. We saw a pretty good representation at Pro Tour Baltimore. The most played deck was not the deck that won the event. Uh, we saw, you know, Dromize, we saw Ultims, um, we saw Azalea still in there. So I, I think Alice's feel pretty good right now about the metagame, and, and they've said as much in this this announcement.
0: Yeah, I, I know there's some people that would like some bandits. I think that every single time we come up to a bandits suspended announcement um, that has been scheduled, you know, people, a lot of people do talk about having change rather than no change, but I do feel like this... This scenario in particular is one where I believe that no changes was warranted. Um, despite Lexi performing well, being um, represented as much as it was in the Pro Tour, I think that that deck has some bad matchups that just didn't show up because people were not expecting it to be that that played, um, to be honest. Also, I mean, honestly, the biggest argument against Lexi is that its matchup spread is so good, right? It does have some bad matchups. For you to bring a deck that has a genuinely, like, a great matchup into Lexi, you're going to be taking a risk with some of the other matchups. We saw that with Tao's deck. Like, it was absolutely dismantling Lexi's um, at the tournament. But, I mean, that old hit matchup, no thank you.
1: (laughs) No, thank you. So there we have it. No changes in Class Constructed. Blitz, on the other hand, Brendan, get excited because uh, Living Legend... Status has been attained by Icelander and Ultum and Winter's Whale leaves with Ultum. And of course, as we all know, with Icelander, Kraken's Aethervane leaves the format. <laughs> yeah, call an ambulance, but not for
0: me. Kraken's Aethervane leaves. Yeah. Obviously not a not a great weapon. Um Let's get into the crazy stuff, though.
1: So, well, just first of all, I definitely thought Waning Moon was the the, uh, the associated weapon with Icelander. Turns out it's not, which is hilarious. Yeah. So, but yeah, where you go, talk about it. Yeah. So, of brutality. Drone
0: of brutality moves from banned to legal. Aether ice vein moves from suspended to legal. Crown of Seeds moves from suspended to legal. Hypothermia moves from suspended to legal. So the last three I said are just a result of Icelander becoming, you know, living legend as well as old him. Awesome. of brutality. Yeah, I'm going to tell you guys, that card, it's a good card in Flesh and Blood, but it's going to suck in Blitz. I, I genuinely don't think it's going to do much of anything. No. Hayden,
1: do you think? T- I think it's going to do something. Yeah, I mean, the the card's powerful. How good it will be is going to de- depend on the, how the format shakes out. I mean, the problem is that Kano looks really good. You should be. Mm. I'm assuming you'll be playing a lot of Blitz because Kano looks really good in this format. And uh, what does that mean for Drone? Too slow, probably.
0: <sighs> Drone of Brutality, modern day flesh and blood, a two for six that blocks for two. I just don't know if it makes the cut anymore. Like, I don't know if you, and I genuinely don't think you can attrition people out like that in Blitz without something like Old Him that's using Crown of Seeds, um, as well as just a ridiculous suite of cards in order to be able to actually survive. I think. Every other hero in Blitz just falls over over a long period of time, which is what a Drone of Vitality is. Like, it's for the second, third cycle. That's where you're getting your value. I don't know. I don't see it in Blitz. I could be terribly wrong, right? It's a recursive card,
1: which is just... Those are the kind of things that break card games, right? You love breaking core tenants of the game. I, I thought you'd be all over this being back in the format. I mean, I'm... I'm hyped. Don't get me
0: wrong. I think that this is, you know, kind of a, kind of a, a wimp move by LSS. Just unban the damn card in class constructed that's what we need that that might actually do something
1: (laughs) please don't do do that no not unless you also give me scalata and ball lightning Uh, i'm not interested yes yes
0: i said that on twitter to brian saying he talked about joining brutality because i can't wait for this to make splash in uh in blitz which i think he was memeing because he also thinks the card sucks but i was like dude unban scalata please please i want to feel something again
1: just sack up Yeah, so there we go. That's the changes in Blitz. I mean, as Brennan said, Hypothermia, Aethyst Crown of Seeds. No real relevancy apart from potentially Crown of Seeds for a Briar in the format, and Hypothermia maybe for for Lexi. Um, Ultimate Pit Fighters also had some changes where Go Bananas is now banned in official events only. You know, feel free to still play it at Kitchen Table. That's whack. That's whack.
0: That's that's an awesome card. I, I can't believe they banned that. (sighs)
1: <sighs> yeah that's it's uh i mean is what it is i mean they've done this with some of the is it york that's also banned in these events um so i think it's more of a uh a, you know it's been cited as a pay to win card and obviously they're gonna have official events for upf so i think they just want to tidy that up a little bit drone the one thing about drone that's quite interesting just going back to that quickly is the price that I've seen this card fit. This oh, this yeah. could be a bit of an issue because obviously it's short printed. It was available in alpha print, but then it's only available in certain print runs of uh, unlimited because it was banned and then removed from subsequent print runs. So it is definitely short printed. So I'm hoping that actually it isn't going to be good because uh, that would be a little bit unideal for the game, I think. Yes.
0: I, so, James actually replied to a tweet, I can't remember whose tweet it was, um, saying that, you know, it should still be no problem to get because there was a larger amount of them printed in that first wave of Unlimited. Um, but, yeah, I I don't think that they would unban Drone if they thought that Drone was going to do what Drone used to do. Because that's a toxic experience. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think that they genuinely believe that that card will not be good.
1: I mean, Drone wasn't even as good in blitz it was just because ira was so dominant in that format but actually the format after i don't think drone would have even had the same impact that it did the format it got banned so yeah anyway
0: ira mirror is like yes that card is going to be good right <laughs> like yeah. these like con- like pseudo control like ira mirror is like yes drone of brutality is good in that form in that format but you add kano modern day aggro decks etc like
1: no way yeah, I mean, you've already got a a recursive block one card in the form of your boots for uh, Kasai, so I mean.
0: <laughs> true, and that card is broken, Kasai too good. It's true,
1: true. All right, let's move on. Uh, callings happening this month. We have Antwerp happening on May 19th. I know there's a few people traveling to that. Tarek on the pod last week was talking about heading out to that one. I, I believe he he mm-hmm. may well be. I think he sorted his, his passport issue that he talked to us about. Uh, Singapore is happening June 9th. I will be there. Looking very much forward to that. There is also on the Friday a mm, there's a monarch sealed event i can't remember what it's called it has a witty name and james white is playing so looking forward to that uh looking forward to meeting a bunch of people in singapore as well i had a, a lot of fun last time out in singapore prior to leal so uh see those of you that will be there there
0: mm. yep well honestly that's one that i would want to go to maybe it's a little too short notice at this point but i would love <laughs> i'd love to go to singapore in june um Anyway, we have some deck text and deck guides coming up on the Arsenal Pass YouTube channel, as well as the Patreon with their associated sideboard guide and the tips and tricks, everything you need to know to pick it up and be successful at your local Road to Nationals. First one's with Brody Spurlock and a few other people queued up as well, um, but haven't recorded yet, so I don't want to drop any names. So be sure to keep a lookout for that if you're looking for a deck um, for the upcoming Road to Nationals season or calling.
1: Mm -hmm. we've had a a couple of weeks hiatus from limited time only over the pro tour i was also traveling but we do have a new episode dropping this week actually with pt finalist pro tour baltimore finalist uh yuha who obviously played dromai also was one of the 60 drafters at Worlds. so really excited to to have yuha come on and, and talk about you know the experience at pro tour baltimore plus as well just learnings and uh moving forward into road to national season and we've also got you know a few a few guests that you'll probably know the names of coming up over the next few weeks for limited time only
0: so if you make the semi-finals are you considered a finalist
1: uh semi semi-finalist
0: yeah because you are lost in the semi-finals right
1: yeah yeah, yeah. Okay,
0: okay okay i just didn't know i was like all this <laughs> that's a joke
1: more i was mo- mostly making a joke when you said uh, you considered a finalist i said semi but anyway right. <laughs> uh <laughs> Let's move on, Commander Cookout time, Brendan. Uh, if you do want to get your questions in for Commander Cookout, please send them through to arsenalpass at gmail.com or you can post them up on the YouTube comments below this video. Let us know it's a Commander Cookout question. That's where our great Commander Cookout question came from a couple of episodes ago. This one is an email entrant. We do also have on our Patreon Discord, you can drop a question in there if you're an Arsenal Pass Patreon. How does LSS fix the brute class in class constructed format? Brendan that's the that's the title line I saw of this uh, question I thought we have to discuss this one so the question comes from Nate S and says as a class Brute feels woefully left behind a quick look at tournament top eight results and living legend board will show that Brute is one of the worst performing classes if not the worst I will point out Brute did win calling San Jose but <laughs> uh, Brute's core principle of vanilla damage and no on hit effects means it cannot disrupt an opponent's game plan except by bringing their life total to zero This means that opponents can simply take the 6-8 damage that a Brute presents on a typical turn and swing back with an unhindered 4-5 card hand. With a few exceptions, swing big, the math on Brute cards also seems generally bad. In fact, the most successful Brute decks such as Chandler Toe's San Jose Calling list there you go, Nate does call that out, stray away from using many Brute cards in favour of generics. Brute also seems to possibly be held back by the existence of Scabskin Letters with card design always having to take into account the possibility of extra action points on any given turn. As a result, go again options are very limited and Brutes struggle to use four or five card hands. Bloodosh Bellows seems to be the only card propping Brute up at the moment, with most decks play patterns consisting of stalling out until you draw the card. From an increasing Forlorn Brute main, Nate S. P.S. Please don't say the solution is rolling dice and more no block cards. Mm Brindam, what's the solution? Oh, I don't think it's rolling dice or no block cards, to be honest. Um...
0: Yeah, I mean, Brute, Brute is interesting, I, I think. We saw it have success, obviously, in Blitz to an extent um, mm-hmm. at the World Championships. It did win the calling, which is – that's a hard calling to win. Like like we're about to talk about the calling um, after this most recent Pro Tour, the calling at the World Championships is also very, very hard to win. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, Brut did take that down. I do think that Brut, in modern-day flesh and blood, which at least until Outsiders was consistent of a lot of decks running these super powerful generics and kind of doing a lot of samey stuff. Like Brute felt like a deck that couldn't do that, right? Like it needed a lot of synergy, it needed to play um, a lot of class cards and sort of build around those Bloodish Bellows turns, which felt like they had sort of a cap on power level and couldn't keep up generally with like the power level of what the tier one meta decks were doing. Um, I think right now, looking at Brute and then looking at something like Codex of Frailty, it just feels... <laughs> not the same to be honest um i do think that the the on hit effect that brute does have access access to which is on hit you die is maybe a little bit weaker (laughs) in modern day flesh and blood especially in the context of it probably being just like quantitatively behind the curve of some other decks um some of the other top performing decks decks like lexi um hayden i want to ask you because you're the brute guy. <laughs> How would you fix it? Like, cause I know that you wouldn't hate. I know Hayden solution is not rolling dice and it's probably not, uh, it's probably not no block cards. Do you think that we just need something like a ranger treatment to brute because ranger was a class that kind of sucked ass like Lexi. Okay. Right. But Azalea just, Dog water, and then you get mm. one expansion of cards, and now they have like lace with blood rod, critics of frailty, like all this stuff is just ridiculous. Does brute need that same tri- treatment? There's one brute card that I have some faith in, <laughs> which is berserk. I think that that card could mm-hmm. potentially be nuts, um, but we probably don't want to pigeonhole brute to just being some uh sort of linear combo deck, which is what that would be.
1: I mean, berserk is on my list, and if you don't know what the list, as I spoke about that on maybe episode 90 something uh you know the list of cards that could be broken of course berserk is definitely on there i mean we do have codex for brute it's um it's codex at home it's cadaverous Contraband. i don't know who you're talking about
0: <laughs> oh god i haven't played that card since uh
1: <laughs> arcane rising limited i think the the thing with brute so I, I do agree you know rolling dice no card no block cards i don't think they're true solution i think some of those things are relevant to the class and and will always be you know scape skin is is a really powerful piece of equipment but of course what is really powerful about flesh and blood and we talk about these decks that do well at events and you know defined formats is is consistency and of course rolling dice isn't consistent Uh, taking away an axis on which a card can be used in the form of defensive value reduces consistency you know enables or it means that you can't Utilize your cards in one particular fashion, which is really important in Flesh and Blood. So those two things, I think, are, are detrimental to making Brute sit in these top echelons of decks in any given format. Where I think, you know, Brennan, you said Berserk. I think the other thing that what Brute potentially needs is, is a talent treatment or a hero text box that is going to help in a big way. I think that is, you know, there is, there are some powerful cards. We just you know, it's this, there is the swing bigs. So there is intimidate itself is a really powerful mechanic. And obviously mm-hmm. in conjunction with Reiner's text box, you know, you, you can do some powerful things. Intimidate is also a completely non-interactive mechanic, right? So if you power into what intimidate can do, you know, you give more above rate cards to what a Reiner deck could look like, you know, more effective swing bigs more ways that discard and then give you above rate sort of effects then now you're putting into play this this mechanic that is just non-interactive and people will say you know ice is non-interactive well you can pay the resource intimidate would you literally what can you do so um, outside of maybe damage prevention so I think that is like a big part of it. They've got to be careful around that. But we can we can take a different track. We can move across to something else. You know, there is good brute cards around. Maybe, yes, we do need some some more good brute cards and cards that don't necessarily rely on intimidate, rolling dice, or having no defensive value. And then what can we do with a hero text box? So a really relevant hero ability that can utilize some of the, the core tenants of brute, whether it be six powers, et cetera, or a talent treatment that is going to mm. allow. Because you look at some of the the heroes that I think traditionally... You know, had weaker sort of card pulls. Some of the hero abilities have really obviously helped with those. I think so. I mean, Rune blade obviously has a really great pool of cards, but all of those hero abilities on those cards are really strong as well. Mm-hmm. So that would be kind of my first solution of what of where lss could potentially look at brute. But I think Intimidate is such a. It's really hard for them to to touch on what reiner and the Intimidate mechanic is because it can be potentially just immediately busted. Yeah, it's funny
0: because I, I I think in. It- Intimidate is sort of like dominate at home, right? Like it just it sucks until you have a critical maximum of it and then you intimidate like most of the cards in their hand, right? Well then you're not playing the game. Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
1: Let's be real.
0: Everybody wants to play that version of Flesh and Blood. At least everybody on this podcast wants to play that version of Flesh and Blood. (laughs) That's true. but yeah, the 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 rolling dice thing, I think, is a the the particularly wrong direction to go with Brute. I really don't like the design of KO. Um, I would hate to see that sort of bleed into class constructed and be the sort of the brute solution. No block cards, I'm more okay with because a lot of aggro decks in Flesh and Blood I see as already having no block cards. They have these cards that you just like you almost never block with. It's sort of changed with this new meta, but in past metas, things with Briar, there's just like never a reason to block with a red snatch, right? Um, Unless you're literally going to die, so I'm okay with no block, but I would like to see more more things like berserk. I want to be doing cool things rather than just pushing pushing numbers and trying to intimidate four times. One card I do really like though is barraging beatdown. Um, I understand how uninteractive and <laughs> kind of broken it is when you have a lot of them, but I do like the the interaction with barraging beatdown and like barraging beatdown pitch a card, swing your club. I think that asks mm-hmm. your your opponent a really interesting question every time, which is, are you willing to trade two cards for my one card and a weapon? Um, and you're sort of, it's it has been in the past, at least in the Lightning Briar meta, I remember looking at it because as a deck that was potentially good against Lightning Briar because Lightning Briar couldn't answer that question. Right? I couldn't just block with two cards. The output would just simply be kind of low. So I don't know. I would like to see more stuff like Berserk. I would like to see more with... Uh, I don't know. maybe no block cards is okay with me but it's a hard question it's yeah. a hard it's a hard question to answer to be honest and um i do think the brute is next i think that uh <laughs> they're don't ne- tease me they're next because you know ranger got their day uh, everybody knows brutes uh brutes ha- had a rough time for a while now
1: i i will say just on barrage and beatdown <laughs> The interesting thing about that card, right? So here, here's a scenario. Two card hand, you've got your, your yellow pitch and your blue pitch and you've got your red barrage and beat down and you've got your club sitting in your arsenal and your, sorry, weapon zone. Come in for an either eight or four, yeah? Threatening to say, give me two cards or here's eight damage. Let's compare that to something like Command and Conquer, right? Where you say, give me two cards or I take your arsenal. It's quite, it's quite different, right? You know, it's quite a different proposition. One hand, Lexi can go, oh, I have to take two extra damage. Okay. Here's my six card hand as opposed to, oh, if I don't block this, I lose my two cards. So here's two cards for my hand to block it out. You know what I mean?
0: I didn't even think about it like that. Wounded bull is already two card eight, but you don't need the barrage beat. <laughs> I
1: mean, yeah, I mean, you do get to utilize your weapon a bit better, I guess. So it gives you off turns. But anyway, it is that sort of interaction is is quite a cool way because we see Ultims doing this all the time. With like, you know, threatening two or three card hands that present damage and, and asking a question or just taking cards from the opponent um but on hit effects are what take cards from an opponent unfortunately not just damage and that's kind of what Nate is saying is that damage is damage and um it can be a bit a bit more linear than it looks like to be honest a card like barrage and beatdown
0: do you think that on hit discard could be added to the brute flavor of cars in a talent expansion
1: yes yes
0: i mean it makes sense <laughs> yep. right like if any if anything is going to be powerful and it's going to make sense for a brute i think on hit discard is something that isn't fully explored in any other class right now that we could add to brute potentially
1: might have a few random discard though the brute yeah. flavor random
0: you know? yeah yeah i think that's fine it's still very
1: powerful right 50 50 no, percent chance you discard a card i'm out
0: <laughs> i'm out
1: all right all right, great. Come back to cookout question there from from Nate S. Again, if you do want to get your questions in, drop them down the YouTube comments. You can email us. If you're a patron, you can jump on the Discord and drop it in. Feel free to tweet at us. Whatever you want to do. Main topic of the pod, Brendan. Let's talk about calling Baltimore, mm-hmm. the largest flesh and blood event to date, and let's talk about the learnings we can take away from this as we are on the eve of Rhodes National starting for you know a lot of regions in the world and more the following weekend what i guess first of all was kind of you were there right so just Mm -hmm. give me kind of your impressions of of what this calling was like i had heard that the atmosphere was first of all amazing i'd heard that you know this felt like a really important calling as well
0: yeah first reaction was holy hell there was a lot of rounds of swiss (laughs) there was a lot of rounds of swiss um obviously 900 plus players in a class constructed meta i didn't get the sort of the 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 Initial breakdown of the meta, like of the entrance, I only have top eight. Uh, but from what I understand, people were taking learnings from the Pro Tour. And Pro, Pro Tour started playing out uh, day one, day two, trying to adjust to that a bit. Um, and I think we saw that play out into top eight as well. But like we talked about at the top of the pod, if you're going to look at a data set to evaluate this class constructed meta off to try to predict for your road to nationals, I would sooner look towards the calling than the pro tour, I believe, because I think that due to how fluid the meta was leading into the pro tour, the calling is a better representation of players having full knowledge and adapting um, to sort of this resurgence, this surge of Lexi that happened at the PT.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's talk about a few facts, I guess, about the the calling. So it was thirteen rounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as you say, the amount of players in the end I was going to. Oh, what have I done? Uh, you said around nine hundred players, right? In the mm-hmm. end uh in terms of meta breakdown so alice is actually you know this amazing live blog that was being run during the weekend provided us with some some meta analysis which is great so uh in terms of the overall class Constructor meta moving from pro tour to the calling lexi ultim dromai continued to be the three most played played heroes at the event um but there was a lot of a lot more representation of you know the fringe heroes like azuri so in the pt i want to say we saw like was it like five to ten, Azuri? I'd have to go back and double check, it was, but it, it wasn't. It was
0: six. I believe it was less than ten, okay. if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah. Um, so a lot more of obviously, and as you'd expect with the calling. I mean, it's an open event. You'd expect a, a generally a wider. We always say this when we talk about open events versus invite only events. Generally, you know, a wider array of heroes, of strategies, people taking punts. You know, there's it's a it's a different. I guess it's a different buy in, right? Like, you know, you, people aren't necessarily
0: yeah. You can have role players in the calling. It's it's much less likely in in something like the Pro Tour. It definitely still happens. You know, Mansant was on brew, <laughs> but in, in the calling, you're going to have a lot of people that just come and bring their deck, the deck they've been playing for a while, and they're not too concerned if everybody's freaking out because Lexi was, you know, the most played deck or put the most uh, the most into top eight. They're just going to play their Viseride deck, <laughs> Zach Button.
1: <laughs> and do well. Uh, so, in terms of other heroes played. Uh, you know, Azuri was quite highly played, but it had a really poor conversion into day two. But there were some other decks that that did really well. So Dash Briar Katsu uh had really good representation and converted well into day two, so from an aggressive side, which is really interesting to see. Uh we also saw uh Fi, Bravo, Azalea, and then icelander represented. And then there was there was one legend on Arachne who made a day two. So congrats to <laughs> that individual. So yeah, I mean in terms of what we saw in, in top eight, obviously very very interesting uh sorry in in um, the meta sort of breakdown similar to pt and then also quite interesting and then top eight so let's talk about top eight you had a dash alexi a, a viscera and azalea or oh, sorry two lexis viscera azalea and then three ultims made up the top eight so no dromai in the top eight of the calling comparative to what we saw on PT. Do you have any thoughts about why mm-hmm. maybe we saw no no Dromai in this top eight, Brendan?
0: Yeah, I think that there's only a handful of players in the world that can actually top a turn with Dromae. The rest of the people are sort of bound to lose. <laughs> it seems like. I mean, we've we've been talking about the pod forever. Um it was it was even an issue with Prism. It's just like people who play that deck tend to lose. But then there's this very small subset of players that just takes it and continues to win. And they tend to be the same players. Um, It's not that the... I don't know if it's because the deck is so technically challenging right now, but I think it's also because, you know, when you look at a Dramai deck, a modern Dramai deck, the build variations are quite vast, right? You see Big Dramai, Big Dragon Dramai, you see Redline Dramai, you see some of these even more defensive Jermais. Like, yeah, I'm just not sure that... Everybody who's playing Jermay on the correct build for the for the current meta uh, scenario they're in.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, we we saw, you know, some players like you said who are known Jermay players doing well at the, the PT, and then and some that you know maybe weren't as well known as well. So, but had obviously a lot of experience with the hero. I think that is somewhat true. In in my experience, I think that it is a hero that you there are so many different dynamic lines of play and time periods where you do need to have dynamic play lines on uh, you know up your sleeve to make but also i think the other flip side is and oh, i'm gonna get burnt for this i feel is i still feel that, that dromai has some worse matchups than people maybe perceive i think the deck is is better than people thought i know Tarek said the same um i i mean i've always thought dromai is reasonable but is it you know top three deck in the format my view is it's 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 not uh, unless it's purely in in the hands of maybe, like you say, these other specialists, and even then, it's I feel like maybe if they were playing a different deck, they'd be you know doing just as well, if not better. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting spot. I mean. Honestly, in the call, sorry, in the pro tour, I was surprised to see two top eight. Um, I know for a while it looked like we weren't going to potentially have the Jeremiah sneak into the top eight, and then we had Yuha and Mara get in. Um, I was surprised. It was, I, I honestly, I didn't predict that. I predicted maybe one getting in, but the two uh, I was impressed by. I think with Jeremiah, there's, le- there's an extent to which I'm just okay with not knowing right i just i don't fully understand why <laughs> some people are having so much more success than other people and the overall conversion rate of the deck seems to be so bad on the aggregate mm-hmm.
1: i mean i guess my question is are we going to continue to see that heading into road to national season do you I think th- or will people take a lot of learnings from this top eight potentially
0: no i think we're going to see more people show up with jeremiah in the road to national seasons that would have you know, would have previously if it it didn't have these performances at the Pro Tour. I think despite the calling being potentially a better representation of the classic constructed meta, people are actually going to look at the Pro Tour as a way to try to uh, predict their Road to Nationals, and I do think a lot of people look at those Dramai decks, probably look at Mara's deck specifically, and try to pick up that. I think Mara had a, a bit more of a unique build that we hadn't seen maybe on coverage yet, and it is just it's more aggressive. And I think that the larger group of players in Flush of Blood will tend to lean towards these these aggressive decks when possible. So I actually think there's going to be a lot of Dramai on, on sort of weekend one of Road to Nationals.
1: I mean, Dramai has been consistently in the top three most played decks at every kind of covered event we've seen in in north america at least for this this past sort of eight week period since the release of outsiders you know we saw the chicago brawl where it was i think third most played it was was it first or second most played at the battle hardened and then obviously you know at the pt as well so um and in the calling alongside it which that's that's a crazy one to me like that's the one that i guess stands the sort of the test is that if you go into an open event like the calling and Jermay is still top three most played, you know, first thing tells me is super popular, right? Mm-hmm. Second thing is people are super committed to it, and third thing is people want to play it, and people are going to continue to play it. I think.
0: Yeah, I think it's also it's a, it's definitely a unique game experience that you can't capture with any mm-hmm. other deck. So the people that play that deck, um, you know, there's not really something there's not there's not another deck to sub that experience out with, right? It's just it's just mind that plays like that that builds up the permits. You could say dash, but I don't think it's the same thing.
1: Well, speaking of unique play patterns, I guess, and, and play experiences, let's like you say, Dash. Let's talk about Dash because Dash ultimately wins the calling. After having a pretty average time at the the PT, <clears throat> um I know day one we saw player like Alan Lau, who I think was undefeated on day one, was playing playing Dash, uh, but not something we saw in the PT top eight. And then ultimately Merrick Kemp winning the calling on Dash, and as we know, had a pretty reasonable conversion into day two. So what's kind of your thought on On Dash winning the calling, did you see that coming? Was there sort of any talk about that happening at the the event hall? Uh, Definitely
0: not. (laughs) I think Dash was looked at as somewhat of an unplayable deck going into the PT meta. Um, I think a lot of people were directing that energy towards the Tree Frog Dash deck just because it's match of spread. Uh, People don't believe it to be to be great, right? Maybe you can beat these sort of defensive olden decks, which honestly didn't really exist at the PT. Uh, but ultimately, just not a well-rounded deck. The deck that we saw win is not that. It is not Tree Frog Draft. It looks to be more mid-range, right? It does have the item package, but at the same time, has this sort of aggressive package. We see nine T-bones, nine throttles, as well as six zero to sixties. So kind of standard there. And of course, the nine zipper hits. So... Yeah, I mean, did we see it coming? Short answer is absolutely not. I was very surprised. The first thing I did when I heard Dash won the tournament is I went and looked at the top eight bracket because I was like, what sort of gem bearings did they get to be able to get to the finals? But I do believe they did beat one Oldham because that was my biggest question it was like, okay, if they're slapping around the aggro decks, which is this deck I was beating Lexi's... Um, then maybe it just got really lucky and dodged all the old hymns to get the top eight and then had the lucky run. But not the case. It looks like it was able to beat everything and, and was prepared for sort of every kind of deck that could have showed up. So honestly, how do you tra- <laughs> where do you go from here? Like, is this deck the truth? I mean, you create a tournament of 900 players right after the Pro Tour, some of the best players in the world, this deck comes out on top and a deck that I think that if we had a bank, like a sort of a top eight prediction card, I don't think anybody would have put, or me, between me and you, we would not have put a dash in the top eight.
1: I think mm. most people wouldn't either. I don't think we did put one on our top eight, that's for sure. Um, it's so, I guess, when you look at, I was just, I mean, this list in, in general uh, looks. You know, fairly standard. I mean, there's some interesting inclusions, right? Like only playing six zero to sixty, actually, no yellow zero to sixty. Instead, opting to play the full gamut of throttles, there's remembrance in here, playing command and conquer, there's kind of a split of defense reactions. But then the the rest is is, you know, as you say, kind of pretty standard. I think the thing with dashes is that it's never while we said it maybe wasn't a great meta call for the PT, uh, I, I mean I stand by that. I, I think that it's never a terrible call because you always have the ability to win matches into some of the best decks in the format. So if we take Alexia, for example, you can you know potentially race in the aggro you know in an aggro mirror basically. I would Mike, I've been playing some games this week actually of that matchup because I was really interested to see if you know if Dash feels like it should be favored in that matchup, and I would say it feels close uh but i would probably prefer to be on the lexi side of that matchup feels like you have more play on that side of the matchup but once you've sort of tested the matchup but you know cards like combustible courier are particularly good in that having some on-hit effects um uh if you can land ma- uh, magnetic shockwave early with you know come jump with the t-bone and just destroy the new horizon early mm-hmm. then you're in a really good position to win that game that's kind of the key to that matchup i think so that's that's really interesting but then you know even against dash right you can uh, sorry against ultim you can assemble your Induction chambers and plasma purifiers really early and just roll through with your defense reactions and just take control of the game. Like I've seen that happen a reasonable amount. I was struggling to find that to be able to happen consistently in, in my testing, but it definitely can happen. We saw it happen. I know that happened in the quarterfinals from my understanding. We saw that happen, Sam Sutherland winning the calling in Auckland uh prior to you know PT a few months ago, prior to the release of outsiders, doing the same thing to two dashes in top eight. So um You know, as a deck, I think Dash always has the ability to do this. It has the tools. It's powerful. It has consistency. Maybe you need a little bit of luck on the day. Uh, I think this build in particular that Merrick kind of ran this hybrid, I think is where you definitely need to be. I heard a little Freudian slip before. I I think I heard you say uh, tree frog trash. Um, (laughs) I did not (laughs) say that, but uh... what it sounded like you said, I just, I'm repeating what you said. (laughs) But I I think if you're going to be playing Dash in in this meta, I think you've got to be on the side. I really can't see how these super defensive decks can beat uh, the mice and the um the elixis of the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, where do we go from here, Hayden? Because this deck won the tournament. Is this the deck you should be bringing to Road to Nationals? Honestly, it's not the deck I would bring. But I think if you just completely look past this deck and you don't test for it and you don't evaluate it against your gauntlet of decks you're potentially going to bring, then you're making a mistake, right? It at least needs to be in the consideration. It won the biggest, the biggest class constructed
1: tournament ever. Hmm. I mean that's that's really what I do wonder is how many people were testing against this like Lexi players how many Lexi players were making sure they're getting the reps in against Dash and understanding how to play the aggro side of that mirror because uh, we kind of played a couple of games the other night and then by the third or fourth game it was like okay there's a few really key things you have to understand about this matchup and once you do I think it, it does feel more more um, Lexi favor than Dash favor for instance but I think if you're a Dash player and you have the reps under your belt Dash is a perfectly reasonable pick for this road to national season I think you know a list like Merrick's is, is teched. It looks like it's set up for this kind of meta. You know, he understands the, the Dromai kind of side of it, plus the Ranger side of it, playing Command and Conquer, for instance, um, as a kind of dual popper slash, you know, come Arsenal Destroyer. And that, that could be a good way to set it up. Would I advise people to go and pick up Dash? I I wouldn't think so. Not for Road to National even if you're not already experienced with it. I think it's probably, there's other decks that are going to yield better results for you. Um, so unless you really want to play Dash, or you are a, a Dash main or, experienced dash player it's probably not where i'd be headed
0: all right on to other weird decks that made it the top eight of this calling let's talk about viscerai <laughs> so we have zach bunn's <laughs> viscerai list um some notable new cards and just cards i wasn't expecting uh crown of dominion i believe this is only on i think he may have only played this on the player the draw i believe it's the play um but the main card here is is it deathly duet or deadly duet Deathly Duet. Uh, um, deathly. Yeah. yeah, so Deathly Duet, the new card from Dynasty that says, when Deathly Duet attacks, if an, if an attack action card is pitched to play it, it, gains plus two. If a non-attack action card is pitched to play it, it gains, uh, or you create two rune chance. So that's sort of the main new card in this list. Other than that, looks stock standard. There are two uh, Ninth Way of the Blood oaths, which is, you know, that's interesting. Um, three Rattlebones as well. And then we do have the one runic. But other than that, this is a sort of stock standard um, and then the cashins that I assume go with the crown of dominion game game plan
1: yeah so we, we saw this this kind of idea of cash and, or royal viscerai uh first come out and be seen at the calling in Auckland prior to the release of outsiders we saw it from Yuanji and I believe Brody actually played it in that event as well mm-hmm. uh, I think Yuanji ended up sort of salvaging a, a pretty reasonable day two and cashed I think Brody uh well he played the battle heart so I think Brody didn't day two but we saw a few of the, those players from the U.S. travel and, and play this deck. And the the interaction, obviously, is really powerful. You think about a Viscerai deck that can basically cast a free a free non-attack action that's going to draw cards, obviously triggering the ability, allowing you to have these really big turns. So, you know, in the past, we'd seen maybe people even shy away from cards like Rune Flash a little bit, whereas that's come back um, in, in the list like Zach's running here. So I, my understanding is probably he'd be running the Cash and Royal sort of package in the, the aggro matchups, I think. Probably regardless of play or draw, they'll be interested to find out. Maybe they found something else out that kind of you only want to play it one way. I'm not sure what that was and, and what matchups that look like because uh, Crown of Providence obviously really powerful and something you probably particularly want into some, you know, maybe a matchup like Lexi for the mm-hmm. defensive value. In terms of the um, the Deathly Duet package, I think, you know, previously we'd seen people play like the, the Rainbow, the Nine Shrill, Shrill of the Skull Form. I think Red Deathly Duet easily sort of can give you an upgrade opportunity on Yellow Shrill of the Skull Form and actually... Uh, give you the ability to potentially present represent one more damage than than a red could uh depending on what your turn looks like if you're having these really big turns especially with something like cash to have these really massive like six or seven card hands you're obviously pitching two cards probably in that situation and getting full value off deathly duet to make sure that you can come in for the um the six damage plus the two rune chance so that's kind of what this, this deck looks like and then the kind of other packages like this ninth blade uh read the runes kind of more set up your package i guess against the Ultim plan
0: mm-hmm is this deck playable, Hayden? Because this is a
1: deck that I would like to play. If it's if Yes, can. it's <laughs> definitely playable. I I mean, it. Th- I think what's interesting is this might be a potentially better current meta call than something like Briar, actually. Whereas I was really interested in Briar in the lead up to the PT, as I said, just the deck I, I think I, I would have played. It's where I was leaning. Um, so we talked about in the pod a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, this Viscerai, Royal Viscerai package, maybe this is better. You know, you have a a, a slightly better matchup into Dromai probably. Um, I would be worried about your Lexi matchup. I don't know what that looks like, but I think you can equally have a reasonable matchup into Ultim. So I can see why, you know, why Zach did, did well with this. Um, <laughs> is everyone going to be able to do well with this? I, I don't know. Uh, you know, is it is it the right deck to be choosing? I don't know, but I, it's definitely cool and fun and I want to play it. Yeah,
0: I talked to Zach um both before the Pro Tour and before the calling, and it sounded like he didn't give a shit if this was the right deck or the wrong deck to pick on the day. No, definitely not. He just wanted to make some rune chance. So but if I was going into Road to Nationals, weekend one, which I won't be unfortunately, because of Pittsburgh, and weekend one is definitely the most fun weekend because I can get the you can get one of the biggest edges. This is probably the deck I would try to get to make work. Because even though i do think a lot of players are familiar with some of the lines that you would play with i do think there is a little bit of a surprise factor and it just takes me back to a good time playing viscerai just missing one key piece of blushy mm Hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty good one too i will say you know the where i'd be starting if you wanted to play this is play some matchups into lexi and just understand how how that matchup looks i mean the one thing that this has going for it really is you know you have some good on hit effects you have mm-hmm maverine skies which is obviously fantastic you have access to a deck that can play command and conquer easily it's a bit more awkward in something like um uh like briar often you know you have these really punchy sort of lines with revel and rune blood you obviously have the the royal package and maybe that is enough you know to actually race them and present these on hit the thing with lexi you know is that they're not they're on hits uh I guess more damage, right? That's the kind of thing we talked about. And their disruptive elements are lesser than say when you used to play against Ice Lexi. So I think viscerai, really interesting. Obviously Ice sender on the on the massive decline. Uh it could be it could be a deck to to take. I'm definitely gonna play some games with it. If I could play viscerai for Road to Nationals, I would I would love to. I wouldn't say it's on my short list for taking to Singapore, but you know, there's time for things to change. Yep, I'm particularly interested in it, to be honest.
0: Um, all right. Sort of the last uh, unusual deck to make it in, which is not that unusual. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about this Azalea list, uh, which looks pretty stock standard to what we've seen uh, in the past. I think that Azalea going into the Pro Tour was potentially not well positioned due to the uh, large amount of Old that was expected. But as Old potentially falls off due to its Lexi matchup, I think a lot of Old Tims look at Lexi as not the best matchup. Um, Azalea can make its way back into the meta uh, I'm just looking at this list right now
1: from... There's a ahead. great
0: card in there that you'll love. Yep, the Sandscour Great Bow.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's yep. a Sandscour deck, which is, is super cool. I think, you know, I'm not surprised to see Azalea do well in this calling. I think, actually, we we're talking to, you know, a friend of the show, Gabe. Uh, we are chatting the night before. He didn't, unfortunately, made, mm. make, make day two, and he was like, ah, do I pivot off Azalea? And I was like, I think Azalea is a good pick for for the calling. You know, I think we are going to see a lot of a lot of Lexi, you're going to see aggro decks probably a higher percentage. And I think Azalea just a great call in general. But this deck in particular is super cool. And I think we haven't seen much of the Sandscour Great Bro interaction. But this deck, yeah, J- Jacob's, uh, Jacob Kessel's deck here is is very interesting and something that I think people should look to explore potentially heading into the Roast National Season if they can find a, you know, they want something a little bit different.
0: What does this deck do that's different from the normal Azalea deck that runs Death Dealer? utilizing memorial ground with the Great Bow to be consistent or what sort of the what does sansguard Great Bow do that changes your your general game plan
1: yeah so while I guess Azalea is looking to you know with with uh, death dealer you can get the value out of that card right so you're looking to go tall but you're not as you know as consistently able to go tall I would say in, in kind of the same ways and deadeye is a particularly very powerful card and with Great greatbo you can make sure you're always turning dead eye on as opposed to azalea having to flip it and there's ways to add consistency you know with ops and i think a card that people weren't playing which i was really surprised about is um the pump from the new set man i'm terrible with names uh, scout the periphery which i was surprised people weren't playing in their azaleas already uh so that's that's a way you can definitely do that but then this just yeah, it just has all these pumps. It has just the on-hit effects. Has memorial ground to give you the the reliability, spire sniping as well, and just wants to make sure that every turn you go, okay, here's this disruptive arrow. So whether it's a written ledger, like we say with memorial ground, whether it's a you know, even heat seeker for value, uh, you can see options also of barbed undertow which i think is another card that people should be playing more of you and you can always make sure that has the counter on it you're just going super tall with this relevant effect and just presenting a problem for your opponent every single turn and of course when you're placing that with laced with blood rots laced with inertia's you're potentially getting two to three different on hit effects with these these one arrows which was a lot tougher in uh, death dealer builds there's, there's a here. dread bore in the sideboard is that for hold him I, I would, I would assume that's kind of the way they're playing it, you know, to, to get around unmovable sort of plans is just go with release the tension, uh, dread ball sort of lines and, um, and look to just go tall and just punch through enough damage through the course of the game with those turns. Makes sense. Yeah. It's like, cool Dick.
0: Yeah, Like I said, I think that Azalea potentially has a, a spot in the better. If Oldham has a bit of a downtick post-PT, which is probably not going to happen because Michael Thang ended up being the one that won it. But keep in mind, there's only one Oldham in the top eight of that PT. And uh, yeah, I made a lot of Lexis. But calling is a, calling's a different story. So three Oldhams in the top eight of the calling. We have Matt Rogers, uh, Randall Sim, and David Lynn. Let me just open these lists real quick, Hayden, to see if they're particularly different. I'm mostly looking for a fatigue Oldham versus... Temple Oldham, which seems to be the standard
1: and while while you look at the the lists and compare them, um maybe you can have a little bit of a look. But I would just talk about Dave Lynn's list first, because this is the one that stood out as really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Uh doesn't play Rampart of the Ramshead. Did did Michael Fing actually play Rampart? I need to look at that as yes, well. I can't remember now. He yes. did. Okay. So Dave, who is friends with uh good good friends with Michael Fing as I understand it, opted to not play the Ramshead, just playing stalagmite as his Shield of Choice, playing a much, I guess, more kind of streamlined build to a degree. I mean, there's more attack actions. You've got triple Endless Winter, triple Pulverize, Choke Slam, Red, and then just a couple of defensive kind of silver bullets. Almost, you know, there's one piece of mine in the deck. There's one steadfast in the deck, and then the staunch responses for, I assume, you know, these these go tall decks and mirror match, for instance. But yeah, a really sort of different sort of build. I mean, one of the only sort of ultimately sort of play heart of ice and and play a couple of ab some of them were just completely skipping on ab assuming that that icelander was completely dead we did see some people play kano but it was it was pretty small um so yeah that was a i thought a really interesting list and then i know uh matt roger's list was what nick butcher had played in, in the pt and um i don't want to butcher his last name but michael J from canada uh, who I think finished ninth or tenth, so was on on the bubble for top eight of the PT. Was also playing this this AD card list, I believe.
0: Okay, um, yeah. So trying to find the difference between old him lists is like playing Where's Waldo because they all have this, like similar package. There's a button for it. Yep, David. So on February. <laughs> yeah, David Lin's list is quite similar to Randall's. To be honest, Randall does have three pummels, which is significantly more aggressive than than one pubble in the list. Um, but the the most unique, uh, I believe, is Matt Rogers' list, which runs a much more defensive package, um, has access to Sunkiss, two Aces or Spied, three Sync Below, mm-hmm. three Sigil of Solace, um, and has three Zealous Beltings as well. I mean, this list—I this list, know it's powerful, but if I look at it, yeah, I'm initially I'm like, this list is all over the place
1: it does look a bit like that so one of the cool things i don't know if, if for those that might use fabry out there a little plug for fabry love what those guys do is um there's actually a button when you can compare all three deck lists i don't know if you're using this but uh it just literally gives you the three lists side by side and then lists the cards that they are and and aren't playing if you go to scroll to the bottom of all the deck lists but um the interesting one, so for instance, like Randall Sims list, he's playing like Crush Confidence. He's playing Red Disable, both in red, which is really interesting. Uh, Dave chose to play Chokeslam, which none of the other two decks play, all play three Commander & Conqueror in this meta. Endless Winter in Randall and uh, Dave's list, but not Matt's, like you say. Um, Glacial Footsteps out of Randall. So Randall's is a lot more red line focused with attacks. He looked a bit more proactive. Dave looked somewhere a little bit in between. He has, did have a few defensive options. And then, yeah, the... The Rogers list uh, that we also saw played at the PT was a bit, again, a bit more defensive. And there's there's one out of war that keeps cropping up. I don't I don't know why these guys play out of war, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah i wasn't I even gonna bring it, that one so. up i was like
0: i, just, <laughs> <laughs> I said i was like mm, i'm just gonna i'm just gonna
1: trust that they they know why the single out of war is in there um yeah one 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 thing i do want to talk about because we didn't really touch much on michael Fing's deck list last week but his channel like frigid is a card that we saw a lot of people not playing at this pt the ultims deciding to go without and removing the ice package basically with the thought process that you just don't have the the quantity of ice cards that you wanted. The you need to play enough poppers in blue for Dromai. So walk away from this. But we did actually see uh Randall playing the the package. I mean, it is good against Lexi, so I, I guess that makes sense. And uh, maybe
0: good against Dromai the, for sure, right? Like Dromai, you're yeah. tempoing them off the turn. You're able to clear more, uh clear more dragons. If you're playing so, aggressive, yeah. On that off turn, yeah. yeah. I think that like the Dromai matchup against Oldham, it really gets out of hand whenever Dromai has like multiple sort of pivot turns in a row, where they're able to. A board safety that you just simply can't come back from. Like if you're able to keep the board at parity, it does feel like it it gets into ultim's favor as they go into the late game. So I think that something like CLF to slow those decks down, allow you to clear more dragons,
1: uh is is very powerful against Drobi.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What about the the two Lexies? I mean, again, looking at these lists, Taylor Taylor Crawford coming in second here with Lexi, uh, eventually losing to Merrick Kemp in this in this finalist event, looked pretty similar to what we see i'd say the one piece of tech that we didn't see as much of is three down and dirty so i think you know really understanding from day one of the pt into day two which then was day one of the calling wanted to have the tech for the my matchup and uh, coming with down and dirty which i think is really interesting plus <laughs> then kind of uh, you know i think like a, actually this this list to me looks like a, a real taking some lessons from the pt and this current meta and maybe adapting and i think this maybe looks like the best the best list that i'd seen potentially of of lexi for the weekend i mean matt folks list was so different i don't think he played a single blue in his deck it was really interesting comparative to the rest of the top eight of the pt but this list in particular looks quite well random to me it has you know some options for the mirror it plays frailty trap which i think is an amazing card in the mirror mm-hmm. uh has access to six code codex so codex finisher, amazing against uh ultim something i think you really need lightning press which is also good in in those matchups and then of course like I say down and dirty death touch The kind of draw my tech as well
0: yeah, and Matthew having three lightning surges in his deck, very surprising to me. Uh, at least initially, I know that they occasionally run the one to recur with Codex of uh, Codex of Frailty. Uh, but yeah, Matthew, uh, the one thing I want to bring up is the Quiver of Abyssal Depths. I actually talked to Brody today because it's pretty obvious what the use case for Quiver of abyssal Depths is. Um, but Brody was talking about, he cut it specifically because he didn't think it was needed to beat Old Tim. Like, obviously it's a luxury, but potentially mm-hmm. with the right game plan quiver of missile Death is a bit redundant for lexi it seems the command and conquer versus down and dirty um, conversation comes down to command and conquer having a dual utility in the lexi mirror and being good in the mirror where down and dirty is just limited to that draw my matchup pretty much yeah. um and like you said the frailty trap is i think the most interesting for me
1: yeah i mean frailty trap is a card that was you know, in my testing on my radar and felt like one of the best cards in the mirror. And I was surprised to see people not playing it for for the mirror, to be honest. So I'd love to... I'd love to hear sort of if anyone has thoughts on, you know, why maybe they have different experiences to what I had, but it was definitely a card that was overperforming in the mirror for me.
0: Yeah. If you want to see uh, uh, an interesting Lexi list, just plug to the, the deck deck that's com- coming up, but you can just go look at the list because it's online. But Brody and his team's list had a lot of ice for the mirror and for the aggro matchups mm-hmm. had uh, nine winter's bite, I believe, uh, as well as Arctic incarcerations with the chilling ice veins in the main deck. Yeah. Um, which is very different from both of these lists. So uh, honestly, there's a lot of ways to build Lexi heading into the road to national season here.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not, people are talking about this meta being solved, and to a degree, maybe, you know, the kind of top decks are really stepping up, stepping up and, and standing apart. But in terms of what these lists look like, particularly for Lexi, I mean, we just saw three very different Alden lists. We've seen completely different Lexi lists. There's so many different options. Um yeah, I, I don't think I think as we go through this road to national season and maybe even as we get to <sighs> dust or Dawn, will we even see a settled kind of best Lexi? I don't think mm-hmm. it will because I think it's meta dependent. It's a trade off. Um,
0: right? you, you're like trading off for what you're what, what you're expecting the meta be, right? Like mm-hmm. you're getting rid of cards. Um like like the down and dirties right like i think every lexi if they had infinite (laughs) spots would play three down and dirty why not right but you trade off you go i'm gonna go zero down and dirty just go command and conquer so i can have it in the mirror as well as i think that's enough for jermai Um, so i do think this meta you talk about it being solved right but it's particularly interesting because a lot of these deck lists have to make those decisions that's why we see this sort of disparity as we go between the two if we call back to something like the chain meta that meta was solved. There was a best chain deck and then everybody else was wrong. I'm sorry. That's just how it is. <laughs> in this one, these lists, these players are making sort of uh, cognizant decisions that they want to go down on some tech cards to go up in others.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, the carpool's bigger and Razor Reefroats. Yeah, there's kinda... more heroes. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing as well, I think, is that this well i wanted to ask you a question actually which i'll we'll ask you in a second because i know it's been it's been i've been told that i have to ask this on the pod uh Gosh by Jesus Christ. someone anonymous so we'll, we'll get to that in a second but uh, i wanted to talk about the ultim matchup quickly because you depending on which group of players you ask about the format being solved they'll tell you different things so yeah format solved uh lexi is the best deck it doesn't have you know bad matchups it beats ultim handily other other side of it well ultim's the best deck it doesn't have bad matchups and it's it's favored into lexi so it you know or hey dromai is actually the best deck because if you know how to play it, it it beats you know almost everything and has to game into the aggro deck still so it depends on who you ask with the uh, format is itself for instance and uh, some might tell you that you know maybe just dash is the best deck i don't know anyway the question i want to ask is down and dirty obviously our preview card for outsiders mm-hmm. preview season uh, there was some criticism that maybe we're a bit low on the card. And, uh, you know, we, we alluded to potentially Industrial Dawn, the card really being something that we see played in a big way.
0: I fucking said that card is exactly what it is. That I literally what I said. And by the way, Brian was giving me some shit for this on the weekend, too. But in our yep. video, I was like, yeah, it might be good against Jermai. But outside of that, it's not that good. It, it's not. It's 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 a Jermai tech card, it seems like at yeah, this yeah. point. Um it does break the core tenets of the game, but outside of that, I mean it's it's just for Jermai at this point, maybe in the future. But I mean, I didn't nobody looked at that card and was like, yeah, this is gonna mm. suck when Jermai's the be- the most popular deck. Like, yeah, no, yeah, obviously yeah. it's a good card.
1: No, I think uh, it's I like think, hands up. <laughs> Look, we're comparing it to Crown of Providence, all right? So I mean, what do you want us to do? Anyway, Brendan, Uh I mean, that's kind of the the top eight of the event. You know, really interesting to see realistically, like eight fairly unique decks even though we have what well, you know four, four different heroes uh what, what can i count five different heroes um yep yeah. <laughs> which is exciting to see you know this differenti- differentiation how people are building decks i think is really exciting so i'm looking forward to road to national season i'm looking forward to seeing what people put out there you know is there something spicy i, I mean sanscow great bow we haven't seen much of that yeah, it's, it's right.
0: A lot of these calling decks are going under the radar. Like I haven't heard anybody talk about them, to be honest. Um, I think there's people are hyper focusing on the PT decks. To, yeah. And I know when Michael, I talked maybe Michael just does this, to be fair. Maybe Michael Fang just does this. When I talked to him, I was like, How do you feel about your bracket? He was like terrible. I was like, Okay. <laughs> he was not happy to be paired with the Jermaine Lexi. I was like, dude, the whole tournament is Jermaine Lexi. Why did you bring old him? And he's like, I didn't. It's my backup deck. I was like, okay. Um for me, Hayden. I just want to play a deck that I enjoy that's also See, good. You know, just, you know, I, just want, I just want to have my cake and eat it. But honestly, I think at this point, I wrote to nationals because I don't know if I'm going to be playing US nationals. I would play a tier one instead of tier zero deck if it was spicy and you know, if it was fun. Where I think in the past, I would have just been like, give me the tier zero deck. I don't care. Just the best deck in the room. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, well, I'll let you know what, uh, what I find for you. But, I mean, so far, the, my testing hasn't turned up anything super interesting, although it's only been three days, so mm-hmm. I'll let you know. Yeah, I'm definitely going to test out that visceral list, for sure. But uh, it looks a bit
0: boomer-esque to me, so I don't know if it's going gonna, it's gonna to hold a modern-day fab. Maybe Kano, yeah? Kano road to Nationals.
1: Yikes. Best of luck to you, my friend. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, episode 109 of Arsenal Pass, the calling Baltimore was... I'm excited to see, can we top a 1,000 players at the next calling? I think that's obviously the next milestone for Flesh and Blood, but a huge event uh, to cap off an amazing weekend. There was also a battle hardened, uh, which I believe was won by Icelander, a last hurrah to Icelander before it headed out of the format. We have a new Blitz format coming up. Road season kicking off this weekend. Good luck to all those playing. Uh, if you want to find myself or Brendan, we are on Twitter at BrendanAPG at Finn underscore Dale. If you aren't already subbed to the YouTube channel, please do so. Throw us a like on these videos. It really does help a lot. And of course, a big thank you to all the Arsenal past patrons. Uh, we do have, like Brendan was saying, more deck techs going up. There was uh, last month, we threw up like another draft video for outsiders, which might help heading into the Roads National season for those heading to draft events. I'm looking forward to playing some drafts as well at Roads Nationals. But Brendan, otherwise, until next week. See ya. See you next time.